0: Happy Sunday to you. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. I'll, let my, I'll show my cards. I'm rolling with the Swifties today. I'm going with Kansas City. Hope that they get it done anyway as well. I hope you guys have a, a, a good uh, Sunday plan, some cool plans for this evening to watch the game. Hope that you load up on wings and all of the above and have a good time. Before we go any further, we're going to dive into God's Word. Before we go into God's Word, we're going to dive into prayer. Uh, Father God, let's come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship. God, I echo the words that we just sang. God, you have good plans for us wherever we may find ourselves today. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts minister to us by your word. God, you know what your people need. You know what your people are going through, and we just pray for your anointing. We pray for you to impart something today apart from your spirit. I'm just a man on a stage, and we don't need that. We need to hear from you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. All right, we just received a recruiting letter, football recruiting letter from the University of Awesome here. Let's see. Let's see, man. I've always wanted to go to the University of Awesome. Let's see where we have here. Oh, recruiting letter. It's from Coach Slick Sabin. Let's see what he has to say. Dear Zero Star Football Recruit, my name is Coach Slick Saban from the University of Awesome. Greetings from the powerhouse of football excellence. We've searched the land far and wide looking for talent, and guess what? We found you. We know what you're probably thinking. But coach, I trip over my shoelaces more often than I touch a football. But coach, I'm about as athletic as a sloth on a Sunday afternoon. Fear not, dear recruit. Athleticism is overrated anyway. What we see in you is potential. Potential so vast, it makes the Grand Canyon look like a pothole. We see a future where your clumsiness becomes agility, your fumbles become touchdowns, and your game-winning plays becomes the stuff of legends. Now let's talk about skills, or lack thereof in your case. But hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. Experience, who needs it? Some of the greatest football legends of all time were plucked from obscurity and thrust into the limelight. Remember Rudy? The guy was basically a hobbit with a dra- And look where he ended up, the stuff of legends. So what do you say, champ? Are you ready to embark on the journey of a lifetime to join the forces with a team destined for greatness to defy the odds and prove that sometimes the most unlikely heroes are the ones who shine the brightest? If your answer is, heck yeah, then buckle up, buttercup, because you're in for a wild ride, Coach Slick Saban. Now, that's, that's not usually how football recruiting goes. If you're a zero-star recruit, you're probably not gonna get a letter in the mail from Coach Slick Saban. Usually, talent, uh, coaches are looking for talent. They're looking for strength and agility and speed and things of that, of that nature. And they start recruiting these players very young, as a matter of fact. I want to take a moment just to brag on my nephew, just a bit, my, my nephew named Trey. He plays football in Nashville. He's a linebacker down in Nashville at Father Ryan High School. He's only 14, starting to get recruiting letters already and got, his, um, got uh, offered his first. And this is my sister, Quenisha with him. And he got offered his first scholarship last week at 14 for football. So they come after these kids early, the University of Kentucky, SEC schools, um, that kind of stuff. But, but check this out. Um, And Trey told me this. Trey said, the school that I want to go to the most is the University of Michigan. That's what he said. So if you know somebody who knows somebody who can give my my nephew a call, that'll be cool. He said he he wants to come up here. But in all seriousness, you know, the world recruits in a different way than God recruits. You know, the world is looking for talent. The world is looking for strength and abilities and things of that nature. And and coaches and scouts choose their teams. They go after the players and they, and they choose them. Well, God actually chooses his team as well. There are no tryouts or anything like that. God goes after his team and chooses his team as well, but God recruits a little differently. He isn't necessarily looking for the most strength or the most ability or the most talent. As a matter of fact, in a paradoxical kind of way, he is often looking for the weak. He's often looking for that zero star recruit that he can use in some kind of way to get glory from their lives. See, when God chooses us, he isn't necessarily looking for the the strength. There are no superstars, there are no natural talents, there are no people who are born ready. As a matter of fact, as we look at the scriptures in 1 Samuel, it tells us, it tells us this: that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, the abilities, the skills, and all that. But God looks at the heart. And furthermore, Uh, in in the scriptures in Romans it tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no not one. So no one can boast or brag and say that I'm on God's team because I've earned my way here, I've earned a spot, I tried out and I made it. That's not how it works. None is righteous, no not one. And sometimes we can be tempted to believe that if we just had more famous people or more rich people or more influential people on Team Jesus, then we take the world with their strength. But God is not searching Instagram looking for the person with the most followers in hope that he can use their platform to get a word out. He's just not doing that. He's not searching Washington, D.C., looking for the most powerful, influential politicians so that he can use their platforms to accomplish something in the world. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our ability. We didn't earn our right on the team. And no one can raise their hand and say, I'm here because I'm so this or I'm here because I'm so that. Another way to put this is God is not lucky to have us on the team. We are lucky to be had. God is not lucky to have us. We are lucky to be had. And I know what you theologians are thinking. There's no such thing as luck, Terrence. That's right. There is no such thing as luck. Luck has to do with chance. There is no chance. There's only God's will. And according to God's will and His choosing, He chooses us even in our weakness, even in our frailty, even in our obscurity. And I just want to say this to someone who might have felt at some point in your Christian walk that you've been used for your gifts, you've been used for your ability. Maybe someone said, You, you look talented or you have ability, and I want to use that and manipulate that in some kind of way, I want to encourage you and say that that is not how God works. Yes, God wants to activate your gifts, but he does not want to exploit them. He wants to activate them and and, and use them in some kind of way, but he does not need to, nor does he want to exploit them. Another way to think about it is this. Jesus didn't choose you because he needed you to win the victory. Jesus chose you because he wants you to enjoy the victory that he has already won. He's already won the victory, and he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to take part in it. So he's not trying to use you to manipulate you or anything like that. God wants you to take part in the victory, dear friend, that he has all ready, one. And because he won the victory, friends, we have no room to boast. As we come to our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that is very gifted but very immature. Giftedness and immaturity make for a terrible combination. It's a very very gifted church, the church at Corinth. They have a lot of gifts, a lot of talent, but they're very immature and they're kind of petty and they're kind of proud. So why so petty and why why so proud? The reason why they're so petty and so proud is they've begun to form personality cults around certain leaders, and there's this hero worship. Uh, Specifically, they're beginning to... Uh, form these uh, kind of personality cults and these factions around the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, and uh, uh, pa- Apollos. So they're like, go, go, Paul, go, 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 Paul, go Peter, go Apollos. And, and Paul is like, what are you doing? Now, he could have taken the glory for himself, but he models humility and says, I am just a mere servant don't make me a big deal. We're here to make Jesus a big deal. But once again, this church is very gifted, but it's very immature. So Paul is writing this letter to them to address that. And once again, they're petty and proud uh, because of their gifting. And so think of it like this. Coach Paul is walking in the locker room at halftime, and he's about to give his halftime speech to this church at Corinth. And he's writing to them in this fatherly, coach-like tone. Hear these words, Paul addressing this gifted but immature church. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? By worldly, he means you're living life as if you are being formed by the world, not formed by Christ. The life that you're living isn't befitting of a person who is being formed by Jesus and formed into the likeness and the character of Jesus. You're living as if you're being formed into the character and the likeness of the world around you. And there's a lot of quarreling and a lot of infighting and a lot of pettiness. I heard someone say that the greatest threat to the church isn't some kind of external threat in the world. The greatest threat to our church in the world today in 2024 is quarreling and infighting. And that's why Paul is addressing this group. He said, you're acting worldly. Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul. Let's go back. Let's go back just a second. When one says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What he's saying by that is, you're not living as one who's been transformed. You're not living like people who are being transformed by Christ. What after all is Apollos. What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. Paul is addressing this pride and this ego that's taking place in the church, the thing about the human heart, the thing about the human heart is this. We're hardwired for, for, um, for glory. We love glory. That's why we attach ourselves to teams and peoples and entities. Um, and what's happening in this text is, This group of of, of believers in this church have beginning to hitch, they're beginning to hitch their wagon to certain people and align themselves with certain powerful entities as a way to get glory. And they thought, well, well, if I can just attach myself to Apollos or Paul or Peter, I can experience some level of glory. And the reason why Paul is saying, Paul's stop, is because the glory belongs to God. Alone, And he begins to address this issue of pride that's taking p- place in the church. Here's the thing about pride. The God of the scriptures, he is anti-pride, anti-ego, anti-hubris, anti-self-exaltation. And whenever he comes into contact with pride, he's going to humble that person, that entity, that, or that group. Because the God of the scriptures, as we know it, is anti-pride. God is to pride as a bee is to the color yellow. He's going to come after it. True story. Last year, in the middle of February, it was February last year of 2023, I was standing outside in a yellow pollen-colored jacket in the middle of February, feeling safe before I felt a little bee sting on my hand. I was like, who gets stung by a bee in the middle of February in Michigan? I did. While I was praying by the way, I was at, we, were in, we were in a circle and we were praying, true story we were at one of the ladies' house at the church we were praying over her new house and while I'm praying I get stung in the hand but I looked. I'm so like, okay, I'm wearing this yellow uh, yellow jacket, polygon colored jacket. As, as a bee is to that color yellow God is to pride. He's, he's coming for it because there will be no other glory besides God's Glory. He's always going to humble the proud. This is just who he is. We see it all over the scriptures. Let's take a look at this. God's relationship with pride. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's just what he does. I, I hate pride. These are God's words. He uses a strong word. He says, I hate it. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. He's anti-pride. He comes against ego arrogance. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. My guess is you get it. God isn't for the ego. He isn't for the arrogance. He isn't for the pride. He's always going to oppose us when we walk in pride because pride is, is glory theft. The reason why Satan was kicked out of heaven was because of pride. The reason why why the first couple was kicked out of the garden and removed and separated from God from the garden was because of pride. Pride kills relationships. Pride kills communities. Pride causes wars. Pride eats us up from the inside out. And that's why God is the great pride killer because pride is the great unity killer, the great peace killer, the great family killer church splitter, killer. And God is always going to be anti-pride. He's going to come for it like a bee comes for the color yellow. And once again, uh, pride is glory theft. It's glory theft. When we walk in pride... We're like a petty thief walking down the aisle at Kroger or Meyer and sticking stuff in our jackets that doesn't belong with us. And then we attempt to walk out of the store and we're caught by the beeper, the buzzer thing, and it's beep, 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 and you get caught and you get confronted. Because you are trying to walk away with something that is not yours. In the same way, when we walk in pride... God sounds the alarm in our lives and confronts us because he's saying that you are attempting to walk away with something that is not yours. That is my glory. The glory is mine. Pride can be sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Pride can be sneaky. Let's show how it it shows up in our lives in these sneaky ways, how it hides in our hearts. Signs of sneaky pride. Struggles to receive constructive criticism. If no one can ever offer criticism, it may be a sign that we're walking in pride. Struggles to admit when wrong, it's a sign of pride. If you're, if you're always right, well, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little pride is somewhere in the heart in a sneaky kind of way. Sees self as above certain task. I don't stack chairs, you might say. Or fill in the blank, I don't wash dishes. You know, fill in the blank. If you're above certain tasks, if someone asks you to serve in some kind of way, you can say, ah, "I don't do that. I'm above that." There may be a, a sign of pride. I remember when I was an intern at a church, and someone said, "If you can't stack chairs, then you're not called to ministry. If you can't do that, don't dare think about doing anything else, because there might be a sign of pride." Assuming that you know something when someone offers something new, try to. Someone tries to tell you something new, and you're like, "No, no, no." I already know, but I'm like, you're not even let me tell you. Flaunting material objects, accolades, accomplishments, consistently critical of others. These are all signs of pride. Unwilling to, to, to submit to authority. One of my favorites, MIG jam. Someone told me this a couple years ago, a MIG jam. A MIG jam is this. It basically says, man, I'm great, just ask me. That's a MIG jam. <laughs> And my other favorite, plum disease, which means poor little old me disease, self-pity is also a sign of sneaky pride. So these things can weigh on us, and they can influence our lives, and they can cause great great harm to communities and even to our own individual lives. So that's why God is always opposing pride. So how do we deal with that? Paul offers a remedy here to the church at Corinth. What he does is he he tells them to take a stroll down memory lane. Remember who you were when God first called you. Remember who you were when God found you. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. I just want to pause there on that word called. Once again, it's God who initiated, it's God who called us. And Paul is saying, think about where you were, who you were, and how you were when God called you. In the original language, that word called is klesis. Let's take a look at that. Klesis is our original, in the original language in Greek, called is klesis. The church is the ekklesia, meaning the church is a community of people who have been called. The church is the community of the called out ones. We are a community of individuals who have been called out by God, called out of darkness, called out of shame, called out of fear, called out of death, called out of the grave. And it is God who has called us. And because it is God who has called us, it's him who deserves the glory. And and because it's God who called us, We can take no credit, we get get no credit. The church is a community of of broken people from various spaces who have been called by God. And Paul is saying, remember when you were called? Remember when you were called out of death? Remember when you were called out of darkness? Remember when you were called from that, that empty place and how God met you in that place? And so hum- humble yourself a little bit to quote the great, the great Taylor Swift. Uh-oh, 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 you need to calm down. That's essentially, that's essentially what Paul is saying. You need to calm down. Let's go back to the passage. Let's go back. It says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Not many of you were were well-known, well-resourced, well-respected in the culture. He says you weren't wise by human standards. In the Greco-Roman world, moral philosophers and thought leaders were a big deal. Uh, public debate was the sport of the day in the Greco-Roman uh, world. So the, the philosopher of the day was like the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan or the Patrick Mahomes of the day. They were a big deal. And that, and that was sport for that, for that culture in that day. And Paul is saying, you weren't one of those people. Remember where you were when I found you? Why are you arrogant and boastful now? You, you uh, weren't influential, meaning you didn't have power in the world. You weren't of noble birth. So why now are you boasting? Let's continue. And he says, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. There's this comparison and uh, contrasting of weak and strong, lowly and exalted. And Paul is saying God chose the weak things of the world to actually shame the wise. As as we've already established, God is anti-pride. He's anti-ego in the way that he often opposes the proud and, and, and the, the mighty in this world is that he uses a weak individual or a weak people to uh, come against the strong and the proud in this world. There's this comparison and contrasting of strength and weaknesses. And God is saying, I called you out of your weakness. You were one of those foolish things that I was using to shame the strong and the wise in this world. Why now are you boasting? Why now are you proud? God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not, meaning the, one translation puts this, the things that are not, essentially that means the nobodies. God chose the nobodies of this world to nullify the things that are, basically the somebodies of this world. It's kind of like that movie, The Little Giants. I don't know if anybody ever seen The Little Giants. Yeah. The Little Giants. I want you to look at these teams And which one do you think is going to win this football game? You got these guys over here. This little fella has on a a biker helmet. Um, Yeah, he's reading a book. (laughs) You got this well-oiled machine that looks like they're about to take them out. Well, the way the movie goes is this team of little giants takes out this well-oiled machine of talented players, uh, this little team of cowboys. And the way the movie works is the weak team beats the strong team. The foolish team, as, as we can see here, the foolish team ends up defeating the strong team. Now, I want to say this. This is not to say that if you have any kind of influence or power in this world or status in this world or talent in this world that God is opposed to you and he won't use you. That's not what this is saying. That would be a very false theology to say that. What this is saying is that quite often the weak are available, the weak are humble, and the weak are willing. And because of that, even when we think we're strong, God might weaken us and we might experience some some brokenness in our lives so that we may become more available and accessible and humble. God can use our weakness. Quite often the way up is down. There's a prayer that I love. It's called the Valley of Vision. It talks about this thing, and I like to read it from time to time because it it points out this paradox of how God works in this world. The Valley of Vision. It says, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Friends, God can use our low moments and our weak moments in some amazing ways. I don't know about you, but when I experience the valley, that's where I learned the most. Those valleys are transformational in my life in some kind of way. I'm sure some of you have similar experiences And even my weaknesses, God uses those to get glory out of those in some way, and I'm sure many of you can say the same. Now, the world despises weakness. That's why we're afraid to show weakness sometimes, because the world can despise weakness. But God does not recruit the way that the world recruits, He does not despise your weakness, He does not reject and despise your humanity. I recently had a dear friend of mine say, Terrence, you can embrace all of your, your humanity because God embraces all of your humanity, flaws and weaknesses and all. And I want to say the same to you, dear friends, Ward Church. You can embrace your weaknesses. You can embrace your humanity because our God does. He doesn't ask you to pretend to be something that you're not, to pretend to be strong when you're weak. He does not despise. God recruits differently than the way the world recruits. Our passage ends like this. It says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we're gonna boast in anything, let us boast in the Lord. I love this one phrase from church history, soli deo gloria. That phrase, soli deo gloria, simply means glory to God alone. Only God deserves the glory. I didn't die on the cross, you didn't die on the cross, I didn't resurrect from the grave, you didn't resurrect from the grave. Soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Translate that, you and I get no credit. We don't need it, nor do we deserve it anyway. Glory to God alone. Tonight at the Super Bowl, one team is going to lose, and they're going to cry, and it's going to be sad, and people are going to break their TVs and stuff like that because their team is going to lose tonight. But another team is going to win, and they're going to stand on the podium, and they're going to slap high fives and put on hats and champagne and what have you, and they're going to look at one another and say, we did it! We did it. Their fans are going to say, we did it. The general manager and the owners, everybody. We, we did it. We beat them. We did it. One day, Jesus is going to m- remove evil from this world once and for all. No more sin. No more darkness. No more pain. No more disease. No more mass shootings. No more bombs flying over the Middle East. It's going to be peace On earth once and for all. And when that day comes, you and I will not look at each other and say, we we did it. No, we won't. (laughs) We're gonna say glory to God alone. He did it. Glory to God alone. And so, friends, When God invites you to be a part of what he's doing in the world, remember this. Jesus didn't choose you because he needed you to win the victory. Jesus chose you because he wants you to enjoy the victory that he's already won. He wants you to partake in it. He wants you to be a part of it. We established that the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the people that God calls to himself. So how might God be calling you today? Is he calling you to serve in some kind of capacity in his ministry through the church? Is he calling you to serve in some capacity in his mission in the world? Is he calling you to himself for the first time today, out of darkness into light? Is he, is he calling you out of your, your brokenness to experience wholeness in him? How might God be calling you today? I just want you to sit on that, and I want to pray, pray over you. I want to pray over the called out ones. Dear Father, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name, thanking you for the fact that you call us, even in our weakness, even in our shortcomings. God, help us to remember that the way up is down. Let us not despise our own weaknesses and our pain and our shortcomings. Let us embrace our weakness and come to you wholehearted and honest about the state of our own humanity. And let us offer ourselves to you in whatever you may be calling us to do today. Whether it's calling us to take that first step of faith. Whether it's calling us out of some darkness, some addiction, some some pain, something that has us trapped. I pray for your children, God, that they would come to you trusting that you are able, that you are faithful, and ultimately, God, you are good. God, I pray for those who you're calling to serve in some capacity, that they they would not look at themselves and disqualify themselves based upon some shortcoming or weakness, but they would see themselves as a part of what you're doing in this world. I pray for all of us that we get to experience that victory one day. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen.